This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So what kind of Mets fan are you? Are you the kind that will root for the Houston Astros these next 10 days just because they're not the Braves? Do you hate the Braves that much? Still chanting Larry at Chipper Jones, even though he now has dad bod like the rest of us? Or do you like the idea of the NL East getting a little street cred on the old baseball block? There's no right answer here. Just needed a hook to get you to listen up through and including the theme song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh yeah, Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now here's Josh Lewin, a scoodly down. Ah yes, the off-season edition of Mets in the Morning. Welcome, and hope your fall is going well. Hope you've bought your Halloween candy for all the trick-or-treaters, and that you, like me, are comfortable deciding that, sure, candy corn counts as a vegetable. I mean, it's, it's corn, right? I say go for it. Josh Lewin with you. Yes, your four food groups coming up. Candy corn, Fun Size Three Musketeers, M&Ms, and Chuckles. Did you know my wife had no idea what chuckles were until about six months ago? I'm serious. And it's not like she's from Ecuador. I mean, how do you go through life and never have had chuckles? I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, uh, back to the Braves winning the NLCS. Some of us call it the pennant. If the Braves went out now, you know who they have to thank for their second ever World Series trophy? Us, the Mets. If the Mets would have taken care of business against the Pirates just before and after the All-Star break, the five-game lead over the Braves would have been an eight-game lead over the Braves, and they would have been sellers, not buyers, at the deadline. Alex Anthopoulos, no way he can sell the ownership. Hey, let's go for it if you're eight or even nine games out and you just lost Acuna for the season. But the winning pitch up the ladder was, look how bad the Mets are playing right now. They just got rolled by the Pirates. DeGrom just went on the IL again. The Phillies are under 500. All we got to do is maybe get to 500, and we've been walking on that line all year. So you're welcome. If the Mets had gone 6-1 and one against the Pirates as they should have and not 3-4, and four, I'm not saying the Astros are playing the Mets, but they're definitely playing someone else besides Atlanta. The Braves won the division at 88-74, and 74, won the NLCS, something the Mets have played in just twice in the last 20 years, going 1-1. One and one. That will be a topic a few minutes down the road. Meantime, the Mets need clarity on players for next year, a manager for next year, and a front office for next year. Other than that, the Lego Tower is totally put together. This is just me. Unasked for, unpaid opinion. But I think the model is actually the team that will play against the Braves in this World Series, the Houston Astros. Analytically sound and creative off the field, They put a coaching staff in the dugout that reacts with its eyes and heart and not an iPad. They got a bunch of hitters that make contact, know how to go the other way. I'm not suggesting the Mets model anything else after what Houston does. No trash can controversy, no Tex-Mex, no Stetson hats and Lucchese boots, unless they're Joey Lucchese boots and his arm's okay. But 
I don't think it's coincidence that the two teams still alive as of this recording have forward-thinking front offices, owners who spend, old-school managers, and a bunch of hitters you can trust. Speaking of players, one of those Astros, the stud shortstop who declared it was his time by pointing to an imaginary watch, the early word on the free agency of Carlos Correa is that he is quite interested in playing in a big market, on a big stage. He'll have some suitors, and the bidding will probably become a little silly, but a Javi Baez deal for the Mets wouldn't automatically shut down talk of Correa signing here to play third, keeping Baez at second. Can you imagine three Puerto Ricans and a polar bear in the infield? All of them all-stars, all of them oozing charisma. That would be worth the price of admission. Correa, Lindor, Baez, Alonzo around the horn. Pick up an outfield bat like a Nick Castellanos or somebody like that to top off the cocktail. You need one more rotation piece. I mean, obviously, Kevin Gossman or Robbie Ray would be wonderful. I don't make that kind of bank. That's for ownership, and that's all perfect world stuff. Call it Cohen Optimum. Get it? Like the eyeglasses plays? Cohen Optical? I I changed it. Did a little wordplay for you. Tips are appreciated. You can tap the box right here as you sign your name. Back to Javi Baez. Will he re-sign? I loved what I saw from Baez that final month of September. I know a lot of you guys did too. Since 2010, best OBPs by a Met in any month. Uh, we had Wilson Ramos check in with a 462 in August of 19. Nimmo in September of 18 was a 468. Jeff McNeil in April of 19 was around 460. Baez this past September, 441. So that is right there among the best months we've seen at City Field in the last 11 years. And yeah, if Correa doesn't come on in and play third base, Javier Baez to El Rincón Calor, that, I'd be okay with that. The Mets this past season were a minus 15 defensive run saved at third base. Only Rafi Devers and Alec Bohm were worse than uh, J.D. Davis and company. So one of those guys, Correa or Baez, step on over to third. I'd be fine with that. On the mound, first a little news about a guy who uh, obviously is already under contract for this coming year. The Mets announcing that Carlos Carrasco Underwent surgery to remove a bone fragment from his right elbow. And maybe that fragment played a little role in his disappointing 2021. Started 12 games for the Mets, only won one of them. An ERA that was basically his height, 6.04. He's expected to be ready for spring training. And remember, overcoming adversity is not new for Carrasco. He was the guy who was diagnosed with leukemia in June of 2019 with Cleveland. Worked his way back. Of course, he had to work back from the leg thing this past spring training and beyond. What about Noah Syndergaard? So do the Mets give him that qualifying offer of $18.4 million? Throwing it out there that Corey Kluber last year got one year $11 million from the Yankees. Very good gamble. Charlie Morton, one year $15 million with Atlanta. Great gamble. Drew Smiley, one year $11 million with the same Atlanta Braves. Decent gamble. I can't wait to see if Noah's back for 2021. And of course, the same for Michael Conforto. So now the manager front office update and an interesting thought rippling through the baseball community. If indeed you want an old school manager with skins on the wall and a ton of respect and you want a GM who's well connected and well thought of, why not tie it together? Why not two for the price of one? Bruce Bochy and Brian Sabian did win three World Series together in San Francisco. Sabian, 65 years old. He's currently the special assistant for the Giants and under his leadership, They've had a winning record, well, 13 of the 18 seasons he was actually their GM. 
Scouting background, not an MIT guy. Before he landed on the West Coast, he was a scout for the Yankees. He was a part of the architecture of the Yankees farm system that produced, oh, I don't know, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera. The Sabian-Bochi marriage culminated in those World Series titles in the even-numbered years, 2010, 12, and 14. And it's Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Madison Bumgarner, all homegrown products who served as the foundation of that success. I love the sound of homegrown products. David Wright was one of those, never won a World Series. Brandon Crawford has won three, and he married Garrett Cole's sister. Bochi, also available, he's been open about his desire to manage again. He's got the voice of Sam Elliott. He's got the hat size of Jay Horowitz. He's got a Hall of Fame resume. That's the big thing, having won those three World Series. A Sabian-Bochi reunion with the Mets would bring so much credibility. I love that idea, but there's a lot of other ideas to investigate as well. And the Mets already investigated the availability and interest of Theo Epstein. No fit there. Billy Bean said thanks, but no thanks. And he's tethered to that same Bay Area that we just talked about with Sabian and... uh, and Bochi, although Bochi actually lives in San Diego full-time, but uh, Billy Bean's got all kinds of investment interests outside baseball, including a soccer team. By the way, that weird fake news narrative slung out there that no executive worth his salt would want to be in the middle of the two Aldersons in the front office, Father Sandy and son Bryn, that is 100% nonsense. Because both those guys, father and son, are so highly regarded in the industry. Billy Bean made it a point to say exactly that. He didn't have to, but he kind of was reading what was out there. He said, hey, I love Sandy Alderson, and Bryn is as sharp as it gets. But I've got my own kids right now who I just want to spend some time with. i got a lot of stuff going on here in the East Bay. I just don't feel like moving and devoting 108 hours a week to running the Mets. Not everything's a big conspiracy, everybody. This isn't Dateline. Uh, Final thoughts on what happens next season. You could be trying to take down a defending World Series champion within your own division. I credit the Braves for seizing that opportunity. They added Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler. They reinvented themselves. The Mets kind of went halfway on that project. They stopped at Javier Baez and Trevor Williams, and obviously that was not enough. So the Braves, they've won the NL East four straight years now. Interesting winter for them coming up. Freddie Freeman is a free agent. Very difficult to envision the Braves would let their franchise player get away. It would be like David Wright having gotten away from the Mets. Acuna's coming back. That nucleus includes Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies. Uh, Charlie Morton has a contract that goes through next season. Max Fried and Ian Anderson are studs. So it's not a wide-open path for the Mets as currently constructed. They've got to get better. And the prospects that will someday help them from within, I love them, But those are green bananas. They're going to be delicious, but you're going to have to wait. Do not peel a green banana. It does not go well. Which takes us to our Arizona Fall League update. The Mets do have eight players out there. And by the way, I talked to all but one of them on a recent trip to Phoenix. And next month, I'll start scattering that bread upon the podcast waters. You can hear from these guys in their own words. But for now, uh, playing for the Salt River Rafters. Teammates of the number one prospect down there, the Tigers' Spencer Torkelson. Uh, Brett Beatty started on fire. He's cooled off a little bit. He's 8 for 30 as I'm recording this. Three doubles and the opening day triple off Mackenzie Gore. Hayden Sanger, the catcher, 3 for 13. Carlos Cortez is playing left field, by the way. 6 for 21 with a triple of his own. Colin Holderman and Brian Matoyer each have pitched three times. 
Matoyer struggling with his control. Seven walks against eight outs so far. But anyway, you'll hear from all those guys eventually in their own words if you keep downloading this wonderful podcast. Now, from the future to the past. I know that sounds weird, but that's where we're going with our final segment. After you hear this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Mets home opener for 2022 is Thursday, March 31st against the Nationals. Just throwing that out there so you remember to put in for that day off at work. So I mentioned the Mets have only been in two NLCSs the last 20 years. And there is something poetic romantic and haunting even now about the 1-0-6 that keeps everybody talking. Of course, the heartbreaking end, the ninth inning of Game 7 against the Cardinals. So many potentially game-altering decisions had to be made, whether Willie Randolph should have called for a bunt instead of pinch-hitting Cliff Floyd. But to mark the 15-year anniversary of all that, Ken Davidoff did a really nice piece last week in the Post, and I thought I'd try my hand at it too, just in case you missed it. First of all, uh, the postseason had some injuries to it. I mean, the Mets were 97-65, and 65, and that was a crusher of a regular season. But if El Duque had not gone down with the, the uh, right calf injury, things are different. Duaner Sanchez, he had been incredible out of the bullpen that year. It was Aaron Lupish. He was not available. So the Mets were favorites over the Cardinals, who had just squeaked into the playoffs. They won 83 games. Mets had won 97. Mets had come up with 5.2 runs a game in the regular season. And as David Wright told David Off in the New York Post, he said, we had guys that could hit the three-run homer and steal bases. We had the Paula Dukas that were getting on base, moving guys over, doing everything it took to play winning baseball. Jose Valentin, uh, Sean Green. It was such a well-rounded offense. Uh, we had just so much fun coming to play every day, he said. It seemed like every other at-bat I was hitting with runners in scoring position. Note to self, Hope Mets get that vibe in 2022. I'm writing that down. Anyway, uh, there were some Mets who weren't exactly hitting their stride that October. Billy Wagner, 9.5 ERA in his six postseason appearances. Who can forget the game-winning home run allowed to the light-hitting So Taguchi? That was just So Taguchi. Cliff Floyd was hurt and not himself. Got to throw that one in there. But uh, John Main and Oliver Perez were the unsung heroes. They each started two games, winning one. Uh, on we went to Game 7. Perez starting Game 7 on three days rest, able to grind through the first five innings. It was 1-1. But when Ollie walked Jim Edmonds with one out in the sixth, Scott Rowland uh, comes up. And the long drive to left sends up Andy Chavez, only in there because Floyd was hurt. And he achieves Mets immortality with the home run robbing catch. But then the ninth inning, uh, top of the inning, tied 1-1. Wagner way out of sync, so Willie Randolph turns to Aaron Heilman instead. And he was good. He had given up just one run his first five postseason appearances, but gives up the go-ahead two-run homer to a first full season in the big leagues, Yadier Molina. For the save, Tony La Russa turns to a guy just as young as Molina back then, Adam Wainwright, a rookie. Valentin and Chavez start the inning with back-to-back singles. You got two on, nobody out. You're down two at home. Heilman due up. 
So what do you do? Do you bunt the runners over with pinch hitter Anderson Hernandez, uh, get the chance to tie the game with a base hit, or do you think bigger and pinch hit Cliff Floyd? Well, Cliff pinch hit, and he struck out looking. That was a huge out for the Cardinals. Jose Reyes lines out to Edmonds. Paul LaDuca walks to load him up, and Hernandez eventually does come in there, pinch run for him at first base. You know the rest. Up comes Beltran. He was coming off a fourth-place finish in the MVP voting, but uh, yeah, it didn't work out well. So the World Series ended up being the Cardinals and the Tigers, and Cliff Floyd said it to Ken Davidoff in the piece in the post that everybody in New York, every Mets fan, is going to remember 06 until they, quote, win a damn World Series. And Cliff is probably right about that. I think the Mets might have swept the Tigers. We'd have seen pictures of the team partying deep into the night in Motown. Those would have been uh, some of the the classic images in our head. Partying the night away in Detroit, but they never even got to Detroit. So they did get to Chicago in 2015, and that was a good party. I want to tell you a little bit about that one because I was actually there for that one. And I think we'll always all remember how the Mets were a 500 team, basically, July 24th. And then Conforto comes up, Kelly Johnson won Uribe, Tyler Clippard come in, then the biggie, Yoana Cespedes. They won 41 of their last 65 in their regular season, took down the Dodgers, even though Tejada, uh, obviously that did not go well with the takeout slide by Utley unavailable for the NLCS, but he went out there for the introductions. Remember with the cane? That was kind of amazing. The Cubs had as many hits in that NLCS as the Mets had runs. Think about that. Wright and Duda had been three for 34 in the NLDS, and it didn't matter because the Mets were carried by Murphy and DeGrom. But in that LCS, Duda woke up, Wright started hitting. The Cubs never led even once in this series. They almost did in game one. Matt Harvey against John Lester. Jorge Soler thrown out at home plate by Cespedes with the game tied up 1-1. That was a hit by uh, Javi Baez, by the way. But that play at the plate, that kind of launched the Mets and the fans. They went up 4-2. Harvey went seven and two-thirds. His night ended on a long home run by Kyle Schwarber, who was a defensive tire fire in that series. He looked like he was playing left field on ice skates, the poor guy. Mets win, and then game two, Jake Arrieta had been untouchable for Chicago all summer, but the Mets touched him for three runs in the bottom of the first inning, including a homer down the line by who else but Daniel Murphy? Murphy's bleachers. Sorry, Cubs fans. That final was 4-1 to one in game two, with Syndergaard dominating on a really chilly night. On a Chicago where it was cold, too. And this one turned, game three did, in the top of the sixth inning. Game tied at two. Conforto, remember a rookie that year, seeing one curveball after another from Trevor Cahill, and he eventually bounces one, gets away from Miguel Montero, uh, who kind of threw Cahill under the bus, by the way, after the game. That was not taken well by anybody. But um, Conforto reached first base. In came Cespedes, who had stolen third, by the way, in a tie game. Mets would win that game 5-2. to two. Murphy homered yet again. Game four was a blowout. It was 6-0 Mets, four outs into the game, eventually an 8-3 final with Jerris Familia, freezing Dexter Fowler for a called third strike to end it. Hmm. Switch hitter, frozen for strike three to end an NLCS. Never seen that one before. On to the World Series where, yeah, the magic carpet kind of sputtered to a halt in early November. The, the last drop in the gas tank was depleted when Eric Hosmer darted home on that ground ball. And uh, Duda sailed his throw to the backstop. The Mets led in all five of those World Series games. 
but they won just one of the five. But anyway, the NLCS, that one, the four-game sweep against the Cubs, that one, so uplifting. And the Mets did get to party in Chicago, deep into a chilly night downtown. That really was memorable. And it wasn't easy finding places to party, by the way. It was a weeknight, and I know Chicago's a late-night town, but uh, watching the Braves celebrate their NLCS win against the Dodgers over a weekend, nah, a little jealous of that one. Brought back some memories, though. Uh, you know, more late-night Mexican food and tequila shots in Chicago. I don't know if we all would have gone to Waffle House, I guess, in, the, in Atlanta. But anyway, uh, I hear music. I'm told I, I have to sign off now because I hear music. With love for the Mets in the Morning House Band, always. Shall we meet them? On keyboards, Richie Hebner. Slap at the bass, Claudel Washington. The horn section, Doug Mankiewicz. And finally, on drums, let's go way back and say hello to Felix Mantilla. What did all those guys have in common, by the way? They all had either 10 or 11 home runs all time in the New York Mets. I thought I'd just tip my hat that way before I sign off. This is Josh Lewin. See ya.